Amen. Well, it is so good to see you this morning in the house of the Lord. So glad you're here. And for those who may be watching on live stream, we're so glad you're here. If you're glad to be here this morning, say amen. amen. Just good to be in the house of the Lord on the day of the Lord uh, with the people of the Lord. And um, I know that we've blocked off a few more sections of pews or some folks that want to stay, you know, just trying to maintain some social distance, keep people safe. Some may have their mask on, and that's to, to help you in case they uh, may have the virus or may have some other virus. And my wife's had a cold, and so I've been wearing a mask I, <clears throat> around people some. I, uh, I made this mask this morning, a matter of fact, and I want to tell you about it. Um, it makes me feel smarter because I, I cut it off my Baylor shirt. It's, a, it's the sleeve off my Baylor shirt. So if I get to feeling a little weak, I just take a big stiff of this. And besides that, it smells like Irish Spring. <laughs> anyway, uh, we want you to feel safe. We want you to feel secure. We want you to come and feel welcome and uh, maintain whatever distance you need to maintain. Uh, this afternoon is the beginning of uh, op, uh, op Mission San Saba, and they'll be working on a house there on uh, on South uh, Live Oak Street, and I know that they would appreciate any help that you can give toward all week long. They're going to be de demolishing, doing demolition this afternoon, and then be rebuilding through the week. And I uh, think, Jody, did y'all get enough money in for the kitchen? Yeah, we did. All right. Thank the Lord. Uh, okay. We appreciate the, all of the generosity of the church. Jody and Karina have kind of spearheaded that, uh, that work. But I bet that if we have others that want to give toward it, there's still some things that probably need to be bought. So if you'd like to mark your envelope, put Mission San Saba on that, well, you're sure welcome to do that so we can continue to collect funds. If you have your Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 19, and a little bit ago, Brother Alvino, um, Alvino read this text, and uh, you know, it's a text that may be difficult for some of you to read. I mean, there's a lot of language in there, things that you may not be familiar with from Hebrews chapter 7. And so before the whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or somebody else, he has been talking in the book of Hebrews about how Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than all the prophets. Jesus is greater than the old covenant. And he's, he's greater than the priesthood. And so really that's the focus of chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 is how Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. So it's written to the Hebrews. And Hebrews are Jewish people. They are descendants of Abraham. And many of them have become believers, and they're wondering, how do we worship? Should we go back to the temple? Who is our high priest? Do we still need to offer sacrifices? So when the author of Hebrews writes to these Hebrew Christians, he is saying that Jesus is better than all the sacrifices we could have ever offered. And Jesus is better than all the high priest who's ever served. And Jesus is better than all the temple and all the tabernacle and all the commandments that have ever been given. The book the book of Hebrews has the theme that Jesus is greater. And that's what we believe, and we as Gentiles, who are not Jewish, we have been invited also to believe and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave that gives to us everlasting life. Earlier in this same book, Paul, or whoever wrote this book, said, do not be dull of hearing. 
And I remember one time preaching at a nursing home. First, we sang at this nursing home. It was me and my, uh, my daughters and my wife. And there was a woman that was in the congregation at this nursing home. And about every time you'd start to sing, she'd go like this. <laughs> and so when I got up to preach, sure enough, it was this. You know, it's really, really hard to preach to a bunch of folks when you've got one or two that are doing this. I don't see anybody doing that this morning, and I wish you wouldn't. Just, uh, you know, just tune me out if you, if you don't want to hear what I have to say. But sometimes when the text is read, and maybe it's, 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 it's a little deeper topic, it's a little more challenging to understand, we tend to be what the, what the apostles said in the book of Hebrews, dull of hearing. We have lost interest. So this morning in chapter 7, we had a, a, a character introduced by the name of Melchizedek. Jesus came as priest in the order of a man named Melchizedek. So when you read all of chapter 7 and you think, wow, I'm just kind of confused about what the author wants me to know, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Hebrews 8 verse 1, let's put it on the screen. And the author of the book says in this text, Hebrews 8 verse 1, let's don't put it on the screen, let's just read it. He says, here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. So when he gets to chapter 8, verse 1, it's very curious to me. The author says, here's what I'm trying to say to you. Here's the summary. Here's the foundation. Here's the main point of everything up to this point, that we have a high priest who sits beside God in heaven, and he prays for us all the time. He ministers to for us on our behalf. He has made a sacrifice for us. He allows us entrance into the very presence of God. We have a high priest all the time. So when you read chapter 7, understand the main point of the text is Jesus Christ. Christ has become our high priest that enables us to approach the very throne of God. That's the, that's the summary. So the main point is we have a high priest. And then uh, a part of that point, and you need to look when you read chapter 7, chapter 8, catch the word better. In chapter 7, verse 7, it says, the lesser is blessed by the better. In other words, when um, Abraham met this priest in the Old Testament named Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So the author of Hebrews says, see, Abraham recognized this priest as better. In chapter 7, verse 19, it says he is bringing in a better hope. In chapter 7, verse 22, it says Jesus is a better covenant in chapter 8, verse 6, it says, the, his, his, his also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So in chapter 7, when we talk about Jesus Christ, the author is arguing Jesus provides us a better hope based on a better covenant and gives to us better promises than what we could ever enjoy or have in the Old Covenant, under the law. Christ is a fulfillment of God's plan from all along. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 19, the text says the law 
made nothing perfect. But Christ has come and he has be provided for us a better priesthood than we could have ever known before. Now, what does he say about this priesthood? Let's just look at this, a, a few thoughts. Number one, the priesthood that Jesus Christ has given to us, provided for us, serves as for us. Number one, he is both king and priest. King and priest. Verse one says, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And the word Melchizedek is a name, Melech, meaning king, and Zedek, meaning righteousness, was a man that Abraham encountered in Genesis chapter 14. And there's a lot of debate about who this guy was. He's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. He's mentioned in Genesis 14, and he's mentioned again in Psalms chapter 110, verse 4. So who is this guy, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness? Well, I want to tell you that all of the children in my father's family were named out of the Bible. I'm Samuel, the favored one. <laughs> Bless of God. Just ask my brothers, they'll tell you. Uh, and I named all my girls out of the Bible. Jane and I did. So I'm just thinking, when I read Melchizedek, here's a great name, in case you're tuned to have a... You name him Melek, you name him Zedek, you name him Kizzy. I mean, you've got all kinds of options here for Melchizedek. Who is he? Well, the Bible says he appears this one time. He's evidently the king of Salem, which uh, most scholars speculate, Jerusalem, the city of peace. And he's not just the priest of Jerusalem or Salem. He is the king of Salem. Okay, now most of the Old Testament, you had the priesthood and those in authority, the king, were separate. You would have a king and you would have a priest. But in Melchizedek, you have both king and priest in the same person. And Melchizedek, now was he just a man? that uh, appeared for a while, that served in Salem? i tell you what my father believed before he died and what he told us as kids, he said he believed Melchizedek was actually Jesus Christ living for that little time period in human form. Let me say that again. Jesus appeared in the fiery furnace. You remember that in the book of Daniel? There were three men flown into the furnace, and then the king said, Look, didn't we throw three men in, but I see a fourth, and he looks like the Son of God. See, my father believed that Melchizedek in the Old Testament was actually Jesus Christ for that brief period of time who met with Abraham. Now, I've read commentaries and I've listened to other people's ideas and there are others that say, no, no, that's not what it means at all. It just means he didn't have a, he didn't have a genealogy which gave him the authority to be a priest. But read with me for a minute. Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 3. It says, without father or mother, without genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. The description of the book appears that this man Melchizedek 
He didn't have a father, didn't have a mother, didn't have a genealogy, didn't have a beginning, didn't have an end, that he lived continually. Or there are those authors who persuasively argue it's just simply saying he was a man who had no right to serve as priest, his father, his mother, his genealogy, but God appointed him as priest. I read one that argued that Melchizedek was actually the son of Moses, was Seth. There's no biblical evidence for that at all, but that's what some scholars argue, that he was in Jerusalem, he was king and priest, and that Abraham recognized him as this king and priest. What does it mean practically for you and me? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus Christ is both priest who enables us to have a right relationship with God. And Jesus Christ is King, who has the right to tell you how to live. We don't just have a priest who saved our soul and forgiven our sin. We have a King who rules in the heart, who has the right to direct our life. If you accept Christ as priest, you have to accept Christ as King. We have both in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek in the Old Testament is this mysterious figure. But the book of Hebrews describes him even greater as beginning a priesthood that was different than the priesthood of Aaron and Levi. And you're saying, well, who, what are you talking about? Okay, well, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. That God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. So Jacob, who is now Israel, has 12 sons. And one of those sons named is Levi. And Levi is the priestly tribe. You couldn't serve as a priest unless you were from the tribe of Levi. So Jesus comes... And the Jewish person would argue he can't be priest. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. So the author of Hebrews says, well, Jesus' priesthood doesn't, is not traced back to Levi. Jesus' priesthood is traced back to before Levi, before there was ever an Israel. Jesus' priesthood is traced all the way back to this Melchizedek who lived at the time of Abraham. And Christ is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek and not Levi. So what do we know first? Well, no, we know first that Jesus' priesthood is greater than the Old Testament could ever offer because he's both king and priest. Number two, we know that Jesus is honored, or Melchizedek, the priesthood of Jesus, is honored by Abraham. Look what it says in verse 4. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils. The word tenth means tithe. So here, uh, in the days of Abraham, there was a battle, and Abraham um, won this battle against these kings that had raided Sodom and Gomorrah and some of the other cities there, and uh, he brought back the spoils of war, and he came to Jerusalem, evidently, and this priest, Melchizedek, came out to meet him, and Abraham tithed to him. So see, the Jewish person, to you and me, we don't care. What do we care? But to the Jewish person, 
They would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can Jesus be in the order of Melchizedek and not, and not be in the order of Levi? And why should we honor him? The author of Hebrews says, because Abraham recognized Melchizedek as priest of the Most High God and as king, and he tithed to him when he was alive. And not only did Abraham tithe to him, but because Isaac was in Abraham's loins, and Jacob was in Abraham's loins, and Levi came from Jacob, then the Levites also, in that respect, tithed to Melchizedek. Levi recognizing Melchizedek as a greater priest than himself. That's the idea. So the, this, so you have to understand, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians and they're saying, wait a minute, we, we can't honor Christ as priest, he's from the wrong tribe, no, no, he's in the order of Melchizedek, wait a minute, did anybody else honor him? Yes, Abraham, your forefather, recognized Melchizedek as a priest continually and honored him by tithing to him. So we know that he's both king and priest, Jesus Christ, both king and priest, Jesus Christ, in, at least in the order of Melchizedek, is honored by Abraham, and then he is a priest forever. Look what it says in verse 17. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What difference does that make? Well, here's what, here's what the difference it makes. Um, the priest in the Levites uh, tribe would live and die and a new priest would be ordained and he would live and die and a new priest would be appointed and he would a new priest and a new priest and so there's this cycle of death in the Levitical priesthood with new priests being placed in the position of authority when it came to Jesus Christ appointed through the order of Melchizedek he, he is ordered as a priest through the power of his endless life. This is what it means. Nobody will ever replace Jesus. He's a priest forever. He goes before God all the time. Now, what, do you, what practically does this mean for you and me? Well, I want you to think about this. The priest of the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which is the most holy room in the tabernacle or in the temple, and they would put blood on what's called the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. They would provide blood to atone for sin. Here's the sacrifice we have made for the sins of the people. And once a year, they would enter into the presence of God and offer the blood. See, but when Jesus Christ becomes priest... He goes into the Holy of Holies, and he never comes out. What does that mean for you? That means that today, Jesus Christ is sitting beside God the Father, and he's praying for you. He's ministering for you. He's reminding the Father of the blood that was shed for you. 
So in your weak moments, when you strayed away from God, you have Jesus Christ, the high priest who lives forever in the holy place with the Father, advocating for you, reminding the Father of the sacrifice that was made for you in your most sinful moments when you're separated from God and that maybe that fellowship's been broken. You have a high priest who's beside the Father who's praying to God for you. Look what it says in this text. In chapter 7, verse 25, we'll deal with it more next week, but look what the author of Hebrews says. Because of his endless life, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives, listen, he always lives to make intercession. The word intercession means prayer, to intercede, to go before God on your behalf for them. I asked myself this question, what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be able to save me to the uttermost? See, not just a priest who goes in once a year, a priest who lives and dies, who offers the sacrifice of an animal for my sins, but I have Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, who goes into the Father's presence with His own blood, and He's there continually with the Father, advocating for me. He's able to save me to the uttermost. The NIV says to save me completely. Young's translation says save to the very end. One commentary writes, he's able to save to all intents, degrees, purposes, in all times and places and circumstances. I have this security because of my faith in Jesus Christ that he is always interceding to the Father on my behalf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 writes like this. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So what's the difference between what we have in the old priesthood and what we have in Jesus Christ in the order of Melchizedek, well, he's both king and priest. He is honored and recognized by Abraham. He's a priest forever. He'll never die. He's always interceding on my behalf to the Father. And then finally, I want you to recognize that in Jesus Christ, we have a priest who brings us into God's presence. Jesus Christ brings us into God's presence. So we have the law of the Old Testament. You remember verse 19, it says the law could make nothing perfect. The law of God, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, you read those and you're not made right with God. You read the Ten Commandments. What, do, what does it do when you read the Ten Commandments? Do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not covet. What does it do? It says, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you've sinned. You read the law, it's like looking in the mirror, and you're seeing how far from God you are. The law can't make you right with God. The law just shows you how far from God you are. See, but in Christ, verse 19... For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is bringing in of a better hope 
through which we draw near to God. Oh, but in Jesus Christ, this high priest sent from God, appointed because of his character and his endless life in the order of Melchizedek of the Old Testament that preceded Levi by, what, 600 years. In Christ, we are brought near into the presence of God, something the law could never do. Wow, thank you, Lord. Not only does Christ enter into the presence of God, but he looks back at us and says, come on with me. You and I, because of Jesus, can live continually in the presence of God. And when we die, and heaven is holy and perfect, we don't deserve to go. But because of Jesus Christ, we're going to enter and live in the presence of God forever. Not because we're good, but because God is good. Because of Christ's sacrifice. Because He has made a way for us to be right with God, even though we're sinful. So the Bible says the law could not make anything perfect, but in Christ we have this new hope of actually coming and living in the presence of God, not because of who I am, but because of who I know. Now my wife's not here today. Like I said, she's had a little cold, so she stayed home. And I'm kind of glad she's not here because she doesn't really like this story, but I'm going to tell it to you. <laughs> and then you just don't tell it to her. But I was a high school senior. I was the editor of the school newspaper. And Governor Mark White came to Gatesville for a fundraiser. And my sponsor at school wanted me and a friend of mine to go interview the governor. And he had this fundraiser, it was $100 a plate. And I asked her, how are we supposed to get in? And she said, you'll figure it out. I had no idea. So my friend, Ed Browning and I, we went that evening to the fundraiser and they had a table out front, they were collecting $100 and I said, uh, I said uh, Ed and I, uh, we're at the school newspaper. You know, I had $100 donation. We're at the school newspaper, we just want to interview the governor. And the woman was just kind of looking at me with that blank stare. Well, from the top of the stairs, you had to go up, ascend to these stairs, there's this young girl, and she says, Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. It's me, Laura. I said, Oh, I didn't know that she was the representative's daughter. She attended my brother's church. We had met, but I had no idea that she was the representative's daughter. And she says, Come on up and bring your friend. This is a, one of those grand moments in my life. When I, when I walk around the table and the women collecting money and ascend the stairs and see Laura and she takes me to her father who introduces me to governor and her father says, oh, you're brother Danny's brother. She, he says, now listen, Sam, you have... You, you and your friend, eat and drink whatever you want. 
There's a whole feast of stuff provided tonight. You can have whatever you want. And I said, well, could I interview the governor? Mark White shook his hand, asked him questions, did the interview. It's just one of those moments that just stick in my mind of being where I shouldn't be. Not because of who I was, but because of who I knew. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he ushered in a better hope by which we can draw near to God. Not because you're good, but because of God's grace. You're invited to come into the very presence of God. I know this morning you may be a believer. I thank God for your faith in Christ. But maybe you've drifted from the Lord and you may be wondering, can, can I return? Can I get back to God? Listen to what James chapter 4 verse 8 says. It says, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. You turn from the sin, you ask forgiveness of the sin, you begin to take those steps to draw near to God, to read the Word of God, to pray, to worship. And as you pursue the Lord, the Bible says, He is pursuing you. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. And you may be here this morning and say, Brother Sam, God wouldn't touch my life with a ten-foot pole. I'm so ungodly and so unholy. There's no hope for me to live in God's presence and ever go to heaven. I want to say to you, you are wrong. You are greatly loved by God. And it's through Jesus Christ who became our high priest, who made the perfect sacrifice that you can live in heaven forever and you can experience the presence of God today. We have a better hope by which we draw near to God. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your great love. Lord, your word says that you have demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us your word says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him your word says here in his love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we thank you today for the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That you, Lord, enable us to draw near to the Father. You enable us to be born again into the family of God. You enable us, Lord, to be the temple of God in which the Spirit of God lives at the very God who made us comes to live inside of us. And we can live in your presence, Lord, both here and go and live in your presence forever in heaven. I pray today in this place, Lord, if there's someone here that's never been saved, they don't know what it means for their sins to be forgiven. They don't know what it means to be in a right fellowship with God, that today would be that day of salvation. Your word says, for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray today would be that day when they call upon you. So Lord, now we just devote this time of response to you for you to do in our lives 
whatever you want to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing a song of response.